Up next, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio. Good morning, good morning, good morning. You're on Reality Check Radio and it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. I am so pleased to be here with you. I can't tell you how much I I love being with you. Actually, I've funnily enough, I've done a lot of radio and I've never especially enjoyed it. It's just not been my thing. Um, but Rally Check Radio, I love. And I've been trying to work out what the difference is. In part, it's because I can speak my mind. I always felt a bit mm, constrained, you know, just socially in normal radio. But actually what makes the difference is the audience, because I feel as though I know you. I feel as though you're like me. We have lots and lots of differences, but fundamentally we're the same. And I feel as though I have met you. And whenever I have met you, it's been a hug and heartwarming because amongst all the madness, we have stood together. We were alone, but we found each other. And so this radio show means everything to me because of you. So thank you for listening. And don't forget to send me a text 2057 or email me inbox at radleycheck.radio. Uh got a great show today. Um, Penny Marie sort of went viral in New Zealand. She gave a speech that was recorded to the local board of trustees of the school about what was happening in the school regarding sex education. And we're going to be talking to her about that. What is happening and what we can do about it and what her experience has been, because this has been a mystery to me. It's all been underhand, and most people in my experience aren't aware of it. And we've got our gardening guru, Professor Wally Richards, uh, coming along today. A very busy time in, the, in, in gardening. I'm very excited. I'm sure other people have done this. But to me, it's my climbing Mount Everest. I put my potatoes in, like uh, Wally explained, mucked up a few things, but basically nothing happened. Oh, and then this past week, sprouts have appeared. It's like the first time anyone's ever planted a potato and had it grow. I'm so excited. So I'm going to be able to tell Wally that, and we'll learn what the busy time in the garden, we'll learn what Wally has for us. So thank you for tuning in, and I love you all dearly. Thank you so much for being along. What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way. Because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions, can have a platform, and we can work and talk together. And so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought alternative thought and I I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions but you know as I've said before there is no such thing as a wrong opinion opinions are like noses everybody's got one the exchange of views fair debate no cancelling no interrupting no aggressive responses we want to hear what people have to say Whatever side you're on, 
And the listener, the consumer, with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057, that's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. You're listening to Real Talk on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Here on Rally Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, send me a text 2057, email me inbox at reallycheck.radio. Ah, listeners will be sick of me on this topic because nothing, nothing. There's so much to get upset about these days, but nothing quite gets me upset than what is happening in our schools with our children and our primary school children regarding sex education. Oh, my goodness. It is evil. There's no other word that I can come up with it because they're destroying the innocence of children. Now I'm getting on a soapbox. I can't stop myself. They're killing the innocence of the most precious thing in the universe, little children. And we're having to do this, and they've done it without even telling parents because we're too stupid or old-fashioned or something. And I have been following this so upset by it, and there was a video of a brave mother going off to the board of trustees that went, I guess, viral in New Zealand. I don't know why. I saw it many times, explaining what was happening in this area to the board of trustees. And we're very privileged. And I'm so looking forward to spending an hour with Penny Marie, who was that mum. Good morning, Penny. Good morning, Rodney. It's so nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, look, um, I have no idea. Uh, you have no idea how much respect I have for you and how proud I am of you because people don't know what's happening. I'm convinced of that, that there's this monstrosity because it's so nutty. I've emailed people I know very well and said, you should do something about this. And they come back and don't see it as a big deal. They can't imagine it's a big deal. They have no clue. And then to speak up is extraordinarily brave because you get so viciously attacked. Yeah. Now, my problem in this interview is going to be that I will talk for the hour. <laughs> I'll try and, that in. <laughs> and my mailbag will be full mm. with people saying, oh, I tuned in to listen to Penny. So please, please, I've got to just stop myself. But tell me, how did you get onto this? How I got onto this was um, I was on my son's school board of trustees from 2019 to 2022. So let's call that the COVID years. And um, I, I actually got, um, I went on it because the principal saw me as a parent who really cared about the children. 
So it was a privilege to be on the board. Uh, and I always had wanted to learn about governance. I'd never been in a governance position before. So because I care so much and I was a really involved mum, I was a sports mum, I always was that parent that showed up. I was like the typical soccer mum. And uh, so then the COVID stuff hit, which was very strange. And we were in a school where we were on just south of the Auckland border. I can't believe we have to talk about borders. But we were at a school where... uh, 800 odd students and 120 of them were in Auckland. So we were in and out of all those lockdowns. I was, uh, we were a family that were on the north side of the border. So it was a very, very strange time. And then when the um, vaccination To interrupt you there. Yeah. Um, it was a high school? High school, yeah. And by being north of this border, how did you travel across it to go to school each day? Couldn't. Like, what was the procedure? Couldn't. So it was when uh, the rest of the country wasn't in lockdowns and Auckland was in the lockdowns. This is um, prior to the the massive second one in August 2021. Um, so the kids in Auckland had to stay home and they had to learn remotely while their mates across the border were uh, at school and were able to participate in sports. So it was very oh. taxing on every school. And, and actually, I don't know anyone who's talked about this, but there are schools to the north and the south of Auckland uh, that their families were disrupted even more than probably the ones who were stuck in lockdown and all the Auckland lockdowns or the ones that weren't because they knew that their mates just a few k's away were going about their lives and and we were unable to. So it was a very strange time, very discombobulating. And then uh, the 2021 vaccination situation happened. So I had already been a voice, a lone voice on my board about not wanting to bring in the vaccination stuff for students and staff. And I had already been hated on and gaslit for a long time anyway and treated pretty bad at my board. And I stayed there because I felt that I was to stay and observe what was going on. So when you say about Just excuse up, me again. Yeah, sure. You were concerned about the vaccines. Why? Mm. So I went down the rabbit hole at the point at which the government announced that they were going to allow 12 to 15-year-olds to be vaccinated without parental consent. So there was something deeply wrong about that for me mm-hmm. as a as a board mum of high school kids, but also my youngest was 15 at the time, so that would have meant that he could have done that. And so I went down the rabbit hole very, very quickly from sort of just feeling like the whole thing was wrong to starting to feel pressured myself to Mm -hmm. then going, it is absolutely not okay for children for whom a parent has to sign uh, a consent form to go on a school trip to suddenly think at 12 to 15 years old that they could rock up and take a vaccination not knowing their own history and not being able to have possible they have informed consent so it was all this doing it behind the parents back but at the time I was really trying to um, raise alarm bells in the board that we can't allow this into the school because they were looking at you know this in general not our particular school we're looking at bringing vaccines in so I don't want to spend too much time talking about the vaccine side of it but basically what it did was it made me realize how how alone I was and having a voice for um people before policy. So I spent a couple of years being on a board realising that what I was observing was in the system and what I saw through everything that I experienced on the board was um, that it's a microcosm of the macrocosm and we have Mm -hmm. these everywhere. So it was a microcosm of uh, a culture where the policies are more important than common sense and that you're not required to show up with your ethical and moral basis. You're you're required to show up and follow a guideline that's been set by someone else. So I've never heard that phrase before, Penny. It's a great one. 
policies before people. Yeah, and that's literally what I phrased by the time I finished being in that environment and realising. That's realizing, a wonderful explanation of it. It's how I could explain the difference between me and the people that were complying when the common sense wasn't there. And there's mm-hmm. all the different overlays, right, because there's the overlays of um, being indoctrinated, tapping into mainstream media, doing all the things that I hadn't done so that I could remain being a critical thinker. I didn't even realise. I mean, we would all look back and go, we're so grateful that we were critical thinking and that we were questioning things even when we were a minority. So I was kind of used to being a minority. When I was on the board too, um, one or two parents showed up at different times to come and speak about different things, you know, totally unrelated to anything that I was looking at. So I understood how the process occurred whereby you asked the board if you could come and speak um, and then they gave you permission and then you had eight to ten minutes to speak. They weren't required to respond to you on the night, but you got to have your say. And so when I started going down the rabbit hole, I'd been looking at the RSE guidelines for a while and trying to find out where it was in the schools, couldn't really find it. And then, like a lot of people, I was looking at what was going on overseas and then IRC stands for relationship and sexuality education. Yep. And uh, I was seeing what was going on overseas, and I was starting to see that parents were going into their boards and speaking up. And the, you know, you would have seen some of that footage of, particularly in America, and it looks very formal. It looks like a courtroom. Those mm. those meeting rooms, mm. and it's not like that here. So I started talking to some people and saying, you know, you can go to your board meeting and speak, right? Like you have the right as a parent and go and look at your school policies and you're able to do it. And not one parent that I spoke to knew that they had the right to do that. So I sat and sat with this for a while and then I went, oh, I've got to go do it. So I actually went to do it to show people how to do it. (laughs) I actually wasn't doing it thinking that there was anything particularly wrong. In my, in my children's school. I just knew that because I had learned how to speak over the last few years, I'd found my voice and I knew how to stand up in a room of people that might disagree with me, that I could actually front up. And I asked them permission if I could film it. Um, and I didn't know what I was going to do with it. I didn't know if I was just going to film it for me or whatever, but I just wanted to go through the process. And um, they did allow me to film it, which means um, and it, it's my speech and I didn't put anyone's faces on or anything like that. And, um, yeah, so I put it out online, and I'm not even on social, but I I have a news channel that I'm on with Voice Media, and I shared it, and about, I think about 30,000 people saw it in three weeks. So I knew that I was over the target, right? And I knew that what I was doing was helping, and that was the whole point. Mm. How do you explain... Or just describe for us what is happening in the schools with relationship sex education. So my understanding is that it's actually been in some schools for quite a while, and I'm talking to some parents that that their kids have been um, gender-taught since about 2019. But it's come in full force since this year. My understanding is that the the program that they had prior to this year was called Mates and Dates, and some schools got rid of it anyway because they had good principals that didn't like it. But a lot of schools had Mates and Dates, and my understanding is that that disappeared at the end of last year. And these relationship and sexuality education guidelines that have been around for a while, but only, I think, tested in some schools, suddenly turned up. 
And I spent this year trying to find what was the new version of Mates and Dates that was being rolled out. And I couldn't find it anywhere. And then by about April, all I could find and talking to others was Inside Out. And I was like, that's a minor- that's been created as part of Rainbow Youth to help a minority, minority group of people that would identify as being gender fluid. It's not a mass rollout education program for sex ed. Um, and then I got to about May and I, I just want to say, like, I did my speech in May and I, it was such a divine timing. I, I felt this urge inside of me that now was the right time. And I didn't actually even understand the ramifications of what that was. But the week that it happened um, was the week after Pink Shirt Friday. It was the week before Pride Week. It was the week that Inside Out's Out on the Shelves annual campaign, which is when they put more and more gender-fluid books into libraries and schools. So the timing of what I did was actually huge because people picked it up really quick because they all of a sudden started to go, oh my gosh, that's happened in my school too. So what I understand is that um, a lot of schools started bringing in their health curriculum with this stuff in term three. So I spoke in term two. So people were starting to to go in and question. But it really just hit us sideways because a lot of most people had no idea. And then some people like us were looking at what was overseas and we actually couldn't find it here. Now, what I've learned is that the most horrific thing about what's happening is that there's not transparency with the parents. Mm. They're completely oblivious to it. And they're not even, so the REC guidelines clearly state multiple times that the schools must consult with their community. And they must consult every two years. Now, in July last year, in the Education Gazette, there was a full multi-page article that you can go online and look it up. Um, and it was pushing this agenda and it had some schools that were the shining lights and being um, gender fluid. And then at the end of that article, there was an ad for Navigating the Journeys, new resources as per the new Education Act uh, for 2020 Here's, here's where you can order your resources. Now, fam, uh, family planning develops those resources. And um, so they were promoting Navigating the Journey's content as the new curriculum for 2023. But we didn't know that at the time. We couldn't get it. So what I was uh, trying to show and what I've talked about people ever since is you can't make a blanket rule. You can't make a blanket assumption about what your school is doing you have to go in there and ask each individual school because they may be using no content, they may be using some content from Navigating the Journey, they may be using the worst of it, they may be using the, the best of it. We can't make a blanket assumption on what is happening. Mm. Mm. And so um, the other thing I felt was um, a lot of people that I've talked to who have asked about consultation, the consultation was set to be after it went into the school. So, for example, in our school, <laughs> it was going in in term three. And when I did my speech, I said, I'm requesting a consultation now. And they said, oh, it's pegged for December. And I said, well, that's too late because you would have already taught them this. And now I've, after talking to so many parents, the same thing has happened. So if they can sort of stick to the every two years time frame and this has come in in the middle of that, then they're not consulting. That's my understanding from what I have learned. 
So you can go in and demand it and they have to answer you. Um, but the next thing on that is that they're running these consultations a lot on email now rather than in-house, which is what they used to do. I mean, anyone who's got old, like I've got high school kids, anyone of my kids' age will know that the last round a few years ago, it was definitely an in-school meeting and parents could talk amongst each other and they could hear um, other voices of concern. But when you do it on email, you're isolated, right? You're not knowing, you're not meeting each other and talking about it. So I believe that that's strategic mm. um, to not have parents talking. Yeah. Let's just put a bit of content around here. Um, we won't discuss the details of the messages because they're actually pornographic. Yeah. But um, this isn't birds and the bees stuff that is being taught to and including in primary schools um, in my experience down to nine-year-olds, my direct experience, but in some schools younger. Mm. But we're talking about two things of concern. One is that the content in the schools can be totally pornographic and what in our day was considered totally deviant behaviour. Mm is being normalized as something you might like to do. And this is being taught to school children at your school or could be being taught to school children at your school. Yeah. There's also a total normalization of um, non-binary relationships, that this mm -hmm. is like an everyday thing and it could be you. And if someone comes out, it's applauded. It's a bold and brave thing. Mm -hmm. So we're seeing a massive uptick like a social contagion in terms of primary school and high school kids being um, declaring themselves non-binary and getting special attention. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing a massive flood of resources into the school libraries and into the public libraries of sexualized books, literally in the primary school section. And you think your kid's going off to the school, uh, off to the public library and Inside Out has been there the week before. That's the um, rainbow youth arm of non-binary relationships. They've been in before spreading books around. Mm -hmm. I'm the most, I used to be the most liberal guy I knew, you know. These books horrify me. Mm -hmm. I went to the lovely Bob McCroskey speech down here, and I was embarrassed by the content of his speech, I was squirming in my seat of embarrassment. But as he pointed out, this is what's being taught to primary school kids in some schools. Yeah. So this is what is happening. You typically assume the best for your school because mm. the teachers seem so nice, so lovely, so caring. It seems so weird and deviant that you can't imagine them doing it. In my own experience, Inside Out came and spoke to my 11-year-old's class for two hours. And what that meant was that um, transvestite teenagers and lesbian teenagers spoke to the class about how cool it was yep. for two hours without our knowledge. Yep. Now, the weird thing is in the case of our school, none of that's happening this year. That was last year, and they must have got a kickback because it's not happening. It's gone. Um, so that's the content mm. of it, right? There's no way. I'd be embarrassed to look at it, Penny. 
It's really tough, and I don't want to be out there uh, showing it too much because no. it isn't. I don't want to put that out into the consciousness. However, when I go around and speak, I do show because, um, and I also say, I'm so sorry that I have to do this. And if, if kids are there, I ask them to leave, um, or I ask the parent to decide because it's up to them what they want their kids to hear about. But I apologize, and it really just makes my skin crawl. Because you're right, just going back to what you said, there's two things that I see going on here that is coming through the curriculum. So the first is the early sexualization of the children, and the second is the... Um, incredibly radical and lying and harmful lie that gender is fluid. So that is, uh, it's, it doesn't even make sense when anybody starts to critical think. It's completely not anything about being kind to a minority group. This is a hijack of our children and you can see it clearly and I say to everyone, go to Inside Out and pull the resources down yourself and you will find that it is a political agenda and they are radicalising our children and they are creating activists and they are creating secrecy and um, disconnect from the family. So you need to play this out to the end, parents. You need to think about what this might look like in five years' time for your family, what this might look like in five years' time for your children. Um, one of the mums was saying, you know, she, we need to play this out to the end because when her children, if they were to learn all of this stuff and, and be around other children whose parents aren't pulling them out, when they become teenagers and they want to start dating and they're not going to be able to actually tell whether someone is a boy or a girl, we have a serious problem here and we have to start having these conversations. This is a political agenda and it has got nothing to do with kindness. It is it is harmful. It is hateful. And it is abuse. And the government is funding it. The government has so many, so many agencies out there. Every time I go online, I go down another rabbit hole and find another one. It is a total propaganda hit. And uh, I just, yeah, and it's being funded through um, diversity um, certified NGOs all the big companies out there that have had it coming through their workplaces for a few years, and this is a concern for me. It's come through big NGOs here. If you talk to anybody who's worked in national organisations, councils and things, um, banks, uh, it's everything. You go on the Rainbow Tick website and there's a whole list of companies. I'll just say some of them. Air New Zealand, ANZ, ASB, um, IRD, um, Zero Vodafone, they're all rainbow tick companies. So you've got a massive adults who this has become normalised through their workplace and they're probably going to not think that this is so bad when they see it coming through their kids' school because mm. they've already been um, numbed to having to play the kindness card even though it doesn't sit right in their intuition and in their soul. No one's really talking about that yet, but, you know, this didn't start in the schools. This has kind of come to the schools now, but I believe it's been the social contagion that's come through workplaces to normalise it with the adults first so that we're all so uncomfortable having this conversation. Um, I've talked to people who are grossly un-okay with it at work, but they feel like if they speak up that they're going to lose their jobs. The unpick the two bits because... They are two separate things in a way. The first thing is the sexualization of young children. So they're introducing sex and not just, you know, how do you word this, normal sex, um, to children as young as eight. 
and I think younger in some schools. Mm. And you're looking at your little eight-year-old girl trotting off to school, mm -hmm. um, just interested in little girl things. Yeah. Now, who on earth thinks this is a good idea? Yeah. How dare they? That's kind of they? my thing. How dare they? And I think um, it's uh, you need to understand how we're going through this shock of like, how the heck did this happen? Um, and this has been radicalised through universities and tertiary institutes for a really long time, particularly in teaching. You think about how liberal our teaching um, industry is. Mm. And so the teachers that think this is okay shouldn't be teaching, in my mind. The teachers that are there that are like, oh my gosh, I, I'm not comfortable with this, but I need my job. We need to help those teachers. And then the ones that are speaking out, we need to help. And the ones that are quietly speaking out and asking the parents to please stand up now because there's nothing more that they can do. They get gaslit by the mainstream media. They get hated on and they get threatened that they're going to lose their job or they lose their job. This is a hit on them as well. And we need to reach out to these teachers, these board members and these principals, because you're right, they're getting the kids are getting sexualized really young and we just have to stop and have a common sense conversation. What was sex education when you were at school? For me, it was um, a couple of lessons when I was in intermediate school about puberty, about body changes and about childbirth. That was it. And You're younger than me, much younger. <laughs> I had a great one. I so loved this. It was in the fourth form, and we had this wonderful science teacher. And we were all looking ahead to the chapter in the science book on human reproduction and all the boys, you know, giggling over it, right? Terrible. We were 14. We were 14 for a start. And we spent a long time on rabbits, right? <laughs> and how, how little rabbits came to be, right? And... <laughs> Where they go, oh, that next chapter is going to be a beauty. And then the teacher did so much on rabbits, she must have run out of time. <laughs> and she ended her, lecture, her her class and she slammed the book shut and yelled out, and humans are the same. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that was, was like, your birds of the beast talk. Oh. Yeah. And that was all you needed, right? Well, and I think like it's a massive hit on the parents because the, the mantra that is out there when you hear anything – uh, when they're justifying it, is that it's awkward, it's an awkward conversation and parents aren't very good at doing it. And I'm just like, you need to stop right there. I'm calling out where in the mainstream media they have articles about it and they talk to their so-called experts. Look up the so-called experts. Go do some mm. research on them. They're university people who are, I don't know if they're parents or not, but do you know what? The parents are the experts. Why is the media not interviewing the parents who are concerned about this? Why are they only going into... Um, the closed doors of universities, which have got funded research around all this gender stuff, because guess where their funding comes from? Mm. So you have to follow the money on this and you have to use your common sense. Like we, um, maybe parents are busier than they were and maybe they do find it more awkward than they were. But I'll tell you what, I have boys and I would drive with them in the car, which is a good place to have these conversations yes. because you can't they can't jump out the car, <laughs> but also you're not having to make eye contact when it's awkward. And I remember so clearly talking to my boys mm. and talking to them about it because my mum didn't talk to me about it. Mm. And so I wanted to talk to them about it because I was aware that at schoolyard talk at a younger and younger age and that all their friends were online and things.
So I said to them, I want to have this awkward conversation with you because I want you to hear it from me and not be ashamed of it. And I want you to know you can come talk to me rather than hear it in the schoolyard or somewhere else. Now, I'm sure that a lot of parents are having those conversations. The people in the media that are that are saying that parents aren't are probably not asking the kinds of parents that are. Mm. But I'm like, excuse me, I'm... I'm the one who chooses how to have those conversations with my children. And just on the age thing, and if you're, if you're looking at the navigating the journey stuff, because it's the easiest way to look at what they want in the schools, the resources are from year one up to year 10, and they get more and more sexualized as they go. And why it's the way I look at it is when you've learned the alphabet, why do you need to keep going over it and over it and over it and over it? don't you move on, but they don't. And they they do the same thing all the time. Now, I've started talking about the chicken and the egg situation. So we have now, it's huge overseas, but they're starting to push these figures here that there are more kids that are sexually promiscuous, you know, self-harming um, and on the gender fluid narrative than ever before. We need to stop and ask what the chicken and the egg is. How did we get to that point? Because how we got to that point is social contagion, which yes, means social media, um, online behavior, excessive use of phones, uh, porn online, and the education system. That's the social contagion that then creates what we have. And we have this thing where the government creates a problem and then they create a solution. What's their solution? Pharma, medical, surgery. They're all funding this. They're funding free transgender surgery for children. They're funding mental health support for children, but they created it. Mm. They created it in the first place. You've got to follow the money. You've got to follow the common sense. Isn't there a point? I'm sticking on the teaching sex at a young age. Isn't there a point which we're at where it's grooming? Yeah, I believe so. Mm. Like a teacher teaching this stuff to eight and nine and ten-year-old kids. I mean, we're going to look back on this, hopefully, if we get through it as a civilized people, and it's going to be a scandal because mm. these kids have been groomed and sexualized over and over and over by their teachers. So one of the excuses that they give is that uh, there is a lot of child abuse happening and so for a small child to be able to correctly name their genitals will help them. Now, I interviewed Gloria Masters, who's a survivor of child sex abuse and um, sex trafficking. Now, she's also been on Reality Check Radio. She's an incredible woman who found her voice about three years ago. So I asked her the question, if you had have learnt this stuff when you were five years old, when your abuse started, would it have helped you? Would you have less likely to be a victim? And she said, absolutely not. Now, we need to hear this from the actual victims, survivors, mm. is that if they had have known the correct names for their genitals and been familiar with what naked bodies look like, it wasn't going to save them. But that's the narrative that they're pushing. Uh, and and we really want to encourage parents, uh, teachers who are learn teaching this stuff to the kids to seriously question their moral compass and put their Absolutely. moral compass before their pay packet. Absolutely. So that's the sex education. Then you come across 
to teaching prepubescent children and early high school children. And I realized that there's a rush for Inside Out to reach children before puberty. Because if they think they're in the wrong body, their ideology is is that you can convert from a boy to a girl or vice versa before puberty by puberty blockers or insane by taking puberty blockers to have a pause (laughs) as if that's such a thing right it is so it is so wrong you can hardly say it but this is what has been going on in the schools oh well if you're not sure you can just take a puberty blocker this is as i understand it penny the chemical they give child molesters to castrate them chemically and they give that to a little kid to say, oh, you make your mind up. This is, so they're reaching down to prepubescent children to explain that you could well be in the wrong body. Mm-hmm. Now, we understand there's a psychological condition called gender dysphoria, which is documented and very extremely rare. Mm-hmm. We understand there's a sexual condition where some guys get off by pretending they're women. And that's it, right? Yeah. And yet 100% of our children and the kids are told a lie Mm -hmm. as though it's the truth. And if they question it, they're labeled transphobe by their teacher. Yep. Now, this is next level It's stuff, next level, right? and it's so complex. So what I've ended up doing, and we'll talk about this soon, but I just want to bring it in here, is what I've ended up doing that's fallen out of me doing what I'm doing and meeting so many people to help is I've created um, something called Let Kids Be Kids. And so I recently interviewed a lady called Jennifer Scott, and she's very outspoken on – she's a registered nurse, and she was working in mental health, and she's down in Dunedin. And she was doing this research on gender-affirming care and the change. So in the medical realm, they very strongly are only allowed to use the affirmation model, which is to affirm a child's belief. So what they're doing is they're seeding this doubt and disbelief and lie into the child who isn't um, mentally capable of coping with that kind of context anyway. Their brains are literal when they're little. And then the only model in medical is the affirm model. Now you ask if that makes sense for anything else. If a child is anorexic, is it is it okay to affirm them into their anorexia and say we'll take you along for liposuction? No, yes, it is you, not. Yes, you are very fat. You need to yes. <laughs> yeah, and so that's exactly you overlay that. You would never do that to an anorexic thirty k- kilo girl and tell her yes, you're correct. You're fat. We'll go and take you and put you on a diet. But this is the affirm model. So what they're saying is they're 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 indoctrinating our children, saying maybe you you who think you're a boy just because you have a penis, maybe you're actually a girl. And then th- through the medical system, the only thing they're doing is affirming it. And then you've also got the conversion therapy ban legislation that's mm. come through. Thanks, Chanel Lau. And so what that does is that has then criminalised anyone, be that a parent or a counsellor or a medical professional, or a youth pastor, or anyone that this child has in their community, um, it has criminalised them again, saying, no, maybe maybe just wait a bit. 
maybe you're not. Like maybe tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to be okay being a boy. That's a criminal thing through the conversion therapy ban, legislation. So the only thing that you're allowed to do through legislation is to affirm them. And of course, the conversion therapy ban is asymmetric because mm. I can encourage a child to swap sex but I can't encourage them to stay what they biologically are. That's correct. So we're getting hit on all sides. We're getting hit from legislation. We're getting hit through education. We're getting hit through the medical system. And What doctor, what doctor could possibly mm-hmm. remove the breast of a healthy young girl or castrate a young boy? What? Or give them puberty blockers? How on earth? when you look at our medical profession, A, that one doctor could do that, but B, all the other doctors not call it out. So I was talking to Dai Landy the other day. She's from Mana Wahine Korero, and the number that she gave to me was there are 600 New Zealand New Zealanders on, on puberty blockers. Um, I've looked up, there are three gender clinics in New Zealand at the moment. And I, you know, this for me has opened a door into a world that I didn't even know existed. Like I didn't realise when I was going to do my board speech that within a few weeks I'd be real. I didn't know. I didn't even know about all this puberty blocker stuff and how bad it was. Um, But the number of people that are now starting to talk about it and say this has happened to their child, this is happening to their grandchild, like every conversation I have with people out there, because I'm brave enough to say, people say, what do you do? I say, well, have you heard about what's going on with the kids? Because I'm helping to stop it. And everyone, no matter what side of the fence you're on, says, thank you, please keep doing it. I wish I had one lotto so I can help you financially. You need to keep doing it. It's what you're here to do. Can I ask you a couple of controversial questions, philosophical ones? <laughs> Go for it. I have never been brave enough to ask this of my friends, but I can do it in the context of radio, right? Mm. And I regard you as a friend and a hero, but there's a lot of ladies that I have on who I greatly admire, but I've been busting to ask them this question. Do you think this started with feminism? I think it started before feminism, but I think feminism was a weapon. Yeah. Yes. And that we were sucked along. Yep. I 100% believe that we were sucked along. And I think um, right now, critical thinking, being humble and looking back over our lives and learning the lessons and going, oh, that's how we got to this point. So feminism hugely. Um, also, you know, and Bob McCroskey talks about it a lot. He's been talking about this for years. It started with the anti-smacking bill, yes, which was child rights be- before parent rights. Mm. Um, there are so many facets, but yes, if let's talk about the feminism thing because a hundred percent. Because if you start off saying, "Woman," because part of I mean, there's all these waves of feminism, and I've never made a study of it. Um, we let's just go back traditionally. Women were treated with respect, put on a pedestal. Yes, there were some terrible things, and yes, it, their rights may not have been the full rights of men. And then you go to having the full rights of men, but then there became this thing that a woman could do anything that a man could do. Well, in a funny way, you said women are the same as men. Mm. There's a funny little 
glitch. We shot ourselves in the foot, didn't we? Yes. <laughs> and it's an interesting thing because I look back to when I was first married and I said to my husband and I, I said, you know, I want us to be equal in the sense that I'm not a piece of the white wear. I don't yeah. want to just be in those traditional Be a roles. trad wife. However, I never wanted to go back and work full time. I didn't see mm -hmm. the point in going and having my children and then having someone else raise them. And now we're also, you know, so there's the push to thinking that the mother has to be the superwoman and has to be able to hold it all together at home and at work and socially. Oh, and also still look beautiful and healthy and keep nutrition food for their children, all the things. Like we had this total superwoman thing about us and, mm. um, and it was really toxic. And it was really competitive. And um, you looked at each other and you thought, well, you've managed to hold it together. You're the superwoman. And I'll tell you what was the real rub with feminism in New Zealand. And that was Jacinda Ardern. Yes. Because she came in and she showed the world how to be kind. Um, she also managed to have a baby while running the country. And at the point that that happened, I was like, you're doing a real disservice to all of us mums who are already feeling guilty. We, we're loaded with mother guilt of all the things that we think we should be doing, but we also have to go earn as well. We're totally burnt out. We're expected to do everything. And now you're showing us that you can have a baby and still run the country. And I love you for your honesty. <laughs> because this is... Um, what we have done to women, what feminism has done, and, to, and then the other flip side is men have become valueless. So a man can't be a man because to be a man is to be toxic. And so men hang their heads mm. and let the women do the talking and the women are feeling vulnerable because no man will speak up for them. It's um, it's it's it's. This is what, and this is my next controversial thing, and it's quite hard because you know, all around me are lifelong feminists. You know, in my family, and my wife, my mother-in-law, and all lovely, and I can see their point, but they're complaining about this, and I can see that it's the next step, right, mm. that we were sucked into something. Yeah. And as you say, um, all these roles fall upon a woman. Promiscuity is another issue, but we won't just get into that because I think that's also been the disservice here. The other thing is um, listeners are aware that I've, been, I've become a Christian, which is mm -hmm. something I never thought I'd say. But the most telling moment in all of this was gender ideology. Because to be teaching young children about sex way before they're ready for it or capable of considering it, I thought was evil. Like not just murdering civilians evil, but evil beyond compare. And then to teach the little girl that she could be a boy or the boy next to her could go to the girl's toilets because he's really a girl. Evil. And that's when I realized we're combating an evil virus, an evilness in people's thinking. 
and that there are lovely school teachers and lovely people in the bureaucracy and lovely people working at Zero and at the I well not at the IAD, lovely people at the Ministry of Transport and places like this, who are promoting this evil that's abroad, and they seem lovely, or they're going up along with it. And that's when I realized that if I think that's evil, there's got to be a goodness. And now I'm talking good and evil. I'm not talking about whether it's a good policy or a bad policy, whether it's utilitarian effectiveness or not. It's good and evil. And that there's something deeply wrong spiritually, which I'd never, ever imagined I'd be thinking. Mm -hmm. Am I right about this? To me, you're 100% right about this. And being on this journey for the last few years, um, I don't really come across many people that see what's going on and would still deny that this is a spiritual war. And because you can't explain it. You can't explain, you can't explain the explain evil. Mm -mm. Can't. No. And, and, and we had the culture war idea, mm. but this is a spiritual war for our kids. It's huge. And, and you know it because when you, I mean, I'm so far out of anything mainstream because I need to protect my own heart, but you only need to watch music videos. <laughs> that, and all the things that kids are readily accessible online, like c computer games like Diablo 4, you've only got to look at them to see how demonic and satanic this stuff is. And it's all mixed in with the gender narrative. Can't tell which are men and women. This is deeply spiritual. Um, and it is the only way f when I speak to people that I, that I can explain why this is happening because your logic mind can't conceive of the level of evil that's behind it. No. So you can go a certain amount of talking about the psychology and ha what happens when people get hypnotized and brainwashed and all of the different tools, the psychological tools that have been used against us for us to usher this in and the, the cleverness of us being frogs in pots and, and being politically more liberal over the years to the point at which we're now at the bottom of the cliff looking up going, how in the heck do we get here? But yes. the overlay of it all is... It's spiritual. So I had an awakening at the start of my journey onto this, and I've been, you know, a Christian. Um, I walked away from that because it didn't feel right and it didn't feel real. And then I had an awakening, and what I saw right then was <laughs> on the spectrum, religion at one end and spirituality at the other. And it was so freeing for me. I felt like I could take my big guilty um, shoulder pack off and see that even – the spiritual aspect to our lives has been hijacked because it's been yes. politicized through religion, but th it's very simple. So I have spiritual encounters all the time now and I have moments where I have real awareness and connection and I just keep getting told it's so simple. It's about love and it's about truth, you know, and we have to be warriors for the truth and we have to stand for the truth no matter what. And when we do, we are in alignment with God. We're in alignment with source energy and we're in alignment with light. We are light. And so we have to trust what we feel. You know, a lot of what I talk about, a lot of what I talk about, like we've talked about the horrors of this, but it'll be really good to spend a bit of time on what's going to happen for the good because we have to understand who we are, why we're mm -hmm. here. And you can't get to the core of that without accepting the spiritual role that we have here isn't there a problem here though penny and this is where i'm struggling because i feel that but 
if you have a clash of belief systems, which it seems that's what we have here, the other side, and they would say the same about us, aren't amenable to the facts or to evidence or to reason because they have a belief system that they believe they can't defend it with argument or logic and so they must shoot it down, the alternative, silence it. And ultimately, if you have a clash of competing belief systems, it comes down to violence, always has. Because we can't jog along together. Like I can't jog along with someone who's doing this to our children, right? But they can't let me jog along with my children in my space. It's it's mm. competing for the same thing, our children and our future, where we can't sit down and talk about it and discuss it and vote on it. It's deeply spiritual. It's deeply a belief system, deeply oppositional, and can't be resolved. And this, I, I find myself, I've never said this before, you I don't know how you resolve it peacefully. So if I may offer a suggestion, Please. I, the, the, a lot of the men that I talk to, they come to that conclusion. And a lot of the women that I talk to in the spiritual space come back to love and peace. And, and this is where the feminine and the masculine have a beautiful balance. But right now yeah. I believe that the feminine, and I don't mean feminism, I mean the feminine, which is more, and, and we, this is, this is what's funny about the gender thing, what they've captured is we all have elements of feminine and masculine within us, mm. but they've, they've hijacked it for a, a not good reason. But when I want my feminine to come forward, that's my intuition and my discernment. And when I want my masculine to come forward, that's my sort of, um, my sort of more logical brain, right? And so if you st sit in your logical, you can't think of any way out of this except for fighting your way out of it. That's me. Um, yeah, and, and that is most men, to be fair. There's not mm. a, there's few men that, that get that. But um, I would offer that there's another way to do this, and this has very much become my journey, which is why I created Let Kids Be Kids. We are, we're fighting things on multiple levels. So you talk about beliefs, and um, they're, they're actually in a cult. So it's a, it's a social contagion, which is a cult. And when you talk about different beliefs, and you might talk about different religious beliefs, at the core of most religious beliefs is the same thing, which is love and and peace. And there are radical movements within that that are not what I'm talking about. But like, for example, in Canada, you've got the, the Muslims and the Christians marching together because they all love their children and they all have the same fundamental yes, moral decency. code, right? Yep. So it's a moral code that actually um, is wider than any one particular religious or spiritual belief. That's my that's my belief is that we have a moral inherent spark in us that's been given to us when we were born by God and we and we're moral beings. So we need to try and tap into that. But the other side of it is the 
the indoctrination that and the and the messaging that's out there. So their stuff is quite divisive and angry and inflammatory. Although it comes across all pretty colours and everything to the kids, but rainbow. what's really, yeah, the rainbow. What's they've captured God's creation of the rainbow and His promise to us. But we're going to claim that back. But the the way that we deal with, like in my area, is around communication and information. So the resonance that we put into the communication and information that we put out to help people isn't angry. It isn't inflammatory. It's curious and it's questioning. And it invites people to do some critical thinking for themselves. So for me, it's about changing the energy that's around this. Like I don't want to be... Um, focusing on the resistance of what they're doing. What I want to be doing is focus as solutions focused, which is the inform and educate and support space. And when you do that, people feel um, supported, they feel encouraged, they feel braver. And so what I've seen since I've been talking about this since June, is, is a shift, there's a massive shift that's really rapidly happening here in our country as people are seeing it. And they're also learning how to communicate in a better way, how to, how to pick up tools and use them. I'm always about pick up your tools, go to family, um, uh, family First, go to Resist Gender Education, grab their tools and use them, have the mm. brave conversation. Because we need to be learning from the last few years of how we've kind of um, got a bit extreme on either side of the narrative of things, to not hit people over the head with it, but to um, inquisitively inform. And it changes things, right? So that is spiritual because... That's it, very beautiful. It, it requires a lot of us to go, well, if I, I always say, like, but for the grace of God, there I go. Yes. I could have easily gotten caught up in it because we, uh, most people have gotten caught up in it because they have been drummed into them that this is what kindness is. And people want to be kind. They want to be community-minded. And inclusive and inclusive and all of those things. And so they've captured all those words and they've weaponized them against each other. But we need to be smart enough to come up with tools to, to really tap into and reach people's hearts. And we don't do that through anger and we don't do that through fighting. We do that through role modeling. We do that through showing up. We do that through um, communicating in a loving way. So what I've done since uh, since I, I did my speech and people started contacting me, hundreds of people have contacted me, is I've realized that I'm stepping into a bit of a mentorship role People, the biggest question people had when I went around was, I don't know how to be brave like you. I love mm. what you're doing, but I couldn't do it. And so I went, oh, cool. It's not about me needing to do it all. It's about me knowing how to, learning how to support those people so that they can find their voice. And I'll tell you what, it's happening. I had a, I had a Zoom call with about 10 of us online on Monday night, and I'd really like to share this. We're from different groups around the country that have all started running meetings like what I do. And um, we are all getting up there and speaking about things and we're all coming together to support each other, to encourage each other, to nurture each other, to cheerlead each other. This is the energy we have to put into this. It's not hateful. We know we're here for this time. And I just so Wonderful. believe, and that's the feminine, right? That's the feminine, like, I'm not going to ever think that I can't do this. I know I'm here to do this. Mm. Tell me about Let Kids Be Kids. Yep. So Let Kids Be Kids was created um, based on the fact that I got overwhelmed with uh, the number of people coming in and what I saw was the need. 
So again, the need was um, to encourage and mentor and support people who were finding their voice and speaking out, to also hold space for people who are just horrifyingly waking up. Because if you go down the rabbit hole right now, it's a terrifying place. And we want to hold those people. We don't want them to put their heads back in the sand. So a lot of, so let kids be kids and we're, we're very new, but I would love everybody to follow us on our social media and go to letkidsbekids.nz, which is a website that's just temporarily up, but all of our, all of our um, social links are on there. Um, but what I do is I interview a lot of people, a lot of mums, so very mums, nurses, people who are right there at the grassroots sharing Wonderful. their stories because there are so many stories, um, you know, and obviously Reality Check Radio is doing a whole lot and Bob McCroskey is doing a whole lot, but there's Bob so McCroskey has been a champion. He's incredible yep and so but we're all in this together right and so yes. i'm really all about um cooperation sharing the voice not owning the space of the one voice and thinking so you're like a posy parker but for kids <laughs> for kids yeah and well and but just support for parents and just common sense so like i literally did a little clip the other day and i'm just learning how to even do video editing because i'm seeing the power of actually using the tools to help to reach people so i did a one and a half minute clip the other day and i found the rainbow calendar for New Zealand for 2023 and I just scrolled through that and I showed people and within 24 hours I mean we don't have many followers but we had about two or three thousand people have seen it My already goodness. and it's and it's like it needs to be seen by hundreds of thousands of people My because goodness. it's a shock I actually showed it to the parent the mums that I was on the call with before I sent it out to say as an example this I'm just trying to figure out tools to help these are tools for people like us who are already down the rabbit hole to get sharing online to share the tools to help educate other people. If they're too embarrassed to have the conversation, they can just flick a little video up. These are We're putting tools in people's hands. The sharing thing is really important. So I showed this little video of the of the rainbow calendar of these so-called minority groups that are, you know, poor them, they're getting hated on. Well, they have a very full calendar of um, expressing and celebrating themselves, which is all funded by the government, by the way. And the faces of the woman on the call when I was scrolling through it, they were shocked. And these are the mums who are out there having the conversations. They know. Yeah, that's yeah they, they know more than most, and they're still shocked. And that's what I, I keep coming across is I keep sharing things that people who have been down the rabbit hole still are not, not even aware of. So that is let kids be kids, all one word. Yeah, dot NZ. Dot, dot NZ. Yeah, and we're on Twitter. But, we're but on that, Rumble. We're that's on a web page. Letkidsbekids.nz. If I go to that now, it'll come up. I'll, I'll just yep. try it. Yeah. Um, how wonderful. And, and is it for everyone? Can I join? Yep. So it's um the website itself is just a temporary placeholder at the moment, but you can get links to our Substack. So just starting to do a Substack. I would love you to subscribe to Substack so we can keep in touch. Great. We're just going to be sharing information. We're trying not to do stuff that other people are doing, but we, I just want to put a whole lot of tools in people's hands and I want them to know that they're not alone. There's people all around the country contact me and say, I think I'm the only one in my school. I think I'm the only one in my community. And I would say, you're not, but we need to start having the conversations because we're siloed at the moment. We're so used to being disconnected from school. You know, we're sitting in our online bubbles, but we've got to get face to face and have these conversations. Mm. Thank you for being such a wonderful woman and mother and standing up for all of us, more particularly encouraging all of us to stand up and more particularly personally for me counseling me that there is a way forward and have you got a wise word for me on this front i'm 
I've never been a physical fighter, right? But I believe in its necessity. And I believe that's what men do. You know, you save the princess from the man in the black hat. And I worry what my response would be if a man went into my girl's changing sheds. Because I think I would be extremely violent. That I'd lose all reason. Because that is so horrific to me. Mm. And yet, every parliamentarian voted for that to happen. Yep. And Christopher Luxon, supposedly our new PM eventually one day, soon, before Christmas, said that if I want to talk about that, I'm off the planet. Mm. But what am I to do? My girl disappears into the public changing sheds, 10 years old, and a man disappears in after her. And the staff at this publicly owned pool can do nothing. My kids won't go to a public changing sheet or toilet because of this. They've had it happen. What I feel to say to you is take actions that your children will be proud of. Yeah, that's what I think. That they're going to be able to tell their children of what you did. So you no, know, no man, no self-respecting man hmm. will allow his wife or daughters to be disrespected. And we need to see that. We need to see our men standing up for our women and standing mm. up for our children. Thank and that's, that. my, that's my cry. And I've spoken a couple of times at the Stand By Your Woman stands and saying, men, we actually want you to stand up. We need you to stand up. We need you to show the children how to stand up. And if you can't stand in the front line because of the way that society has labelled you, stand next to us. Mm. Thank you so much, Penny. I hope you come back on my show because well, I feel as though we have much to discuss and mm. I know you would have helped listeners and you've certainly helped me. Uh, that was Penny Marie. What a what a wonderful story. What a wonderful mission. But more especially, what a beautiful woman and a beautiful mother and a beautiful Kiwi, beautiful human being that we've been blessed with today. And you're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Radley Check Radio. Remember, please, text us at 2057. Email us inbox at radleycheck.radio. I will put in a link, uh, let kids be kids, if you can't remember it, let kids be kids.nz. Boy, I'm going to sign up to that. Thank you so much for listening. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m., Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. 
or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. Here on Reality Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, one of our regulars, I think probably our only regular. Oh, there's Tane on politics. But we have our gardening guru, Professor Wally Richards. Needs no introduction. Professor Wally, how are you? Yeah, good morning. Actually, I've lost the picture somewhere. Ah, there we go. Yes, Tell me, Wally, can I do a wee brag? Okay. I have done a lot wrong in my garden. And every time that I've done something wrong, it's because I have neglected to follow a Wally step. Because I've gone off half cock thinking, I yeah, I've got that, I've got that. And then I've messed it up. And uh, one thing I did wrong was I didn't understand quite the significance of seed mix. And one busy day I thought I could do without it. Nope, bad idea. But joy of joys of joys. My potatoes have sprouted. Very good. Do you know, it's quite probable that other people have had that happen to them through the course of history. But, I'll, I'll try times, yeah, yeah. But for my potatoes to sprout, it was, I'm so excited that my potatoes sprouted. It's just glorious. And it's amazing how a mundane thing that you drive past or look at anyone's garden, and I wouldn't have given two hoots about the potato patch, but for my potatoes to sprout has filled me with the uh, unbelievable joy. Gardening is so much fun, so therapeutic. It is so wonderful. So my potatoes have sprouted and I'm overjoyed. If I get potatoes, like I tell everyone, it'll be a plus, but I'm getting the sprouts. Now, Wally. Okay, yeah. Actually, that is the peak time in gardening, basically, is when you've planted seeds or potatoes in your case, and next thing they pop up through the soil and it's it's incredible. It, 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 that is the highlight of gardening, basically. Yeah. That's, you see that your efforts have been successful. Later on, harvesting is also a great pleasure because yeah. you've got the uh, produce that you've grown yourself and you're going to take it into the kitchen and you're going to cook it or do whatever with it and uh, and eat it. Um, so. I um, I, And it's the miracle of a seed, like my tomato seeds were so small when I put them in the ground. I've done a great job thus far with my tomatoes because I followed your instructions to the letter. My tomato seeds are so small and now they're up like, oh, I'm an old-fashioned units for plants, six inches, eight inches high, staked, and looking wonderful. One of them's flowering. And from a little tiny seed, it's a miracle, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's magic. It's magic. Now, speaking of magic, I swear by your magic botanical liquid, right. which is I've used on my plants. You got an email from a listener about MBL. Tell me what that is. Yeah, um, just a second. I'll drop the screen down here. And it says, Wally, first time in my life, I generally wanted to leave a review on a product. Your MBL is real 
really magic. I'm not only bad in gardening in general, I'm also new to try it in this hemisphere, so obviously from the other side of the planet. So I managed to kill an aloe vera. Have no idea how these things just happen. The only thing left is a tiny leaf, and she sent a photograph. Um, there are no roots, all rotten, so I put it in a cacti potty mix a couple months ago and been just rambly, randomly applying about a spoon of your diluted MBL. And today I noticed that the green dot inside the new leaf is trying to grow. She carries on, and this is the interesting part, which I must try myself. Also, during the last two years, I've been trying to propagate golden kiwi fruit and some other tropical fruits as well, unsuccessfully. Tried different Google advices until about a couple months ago, I just smeared the ripe, ripened fruit over the potting mix and applied some MBL. So she would have squashed the ripe fruit over the mix and then uh, watered in some MBL. Been applying it randomly, same as the aloe vera. And the day before yesterday, suddenly noticed several live seedlings. Have no idea what to do <laughs> if they grow further. <laughs> but with the MBL, I have got the unlimited amount of tries now waiting for the mango seedling season. So she's going to um, produce a mango as well. Okay, so that's interesting because um, to germinate um, golden kiwi fruit, of course, you'd probably need a male and female because of, for pollination. Um, but, yeah, um, great stuff. I've, How exciting is it to get an email like that where someone with no green thumbs has got such excitement and such joy from a product of your, yours and is now gardening and doing something extraordinary, I think, growing kiwi fruit from a kiwi fruit. Yeah. Um, somehow, rather playing on my computer, I've got you as a little wee picture now. <laughs> Up and, ah, there we are. You're back. Oh, you got me oh. back as a big picture. Yeah, oh, yeah, I've got the big picture now. Yeah, well, I'm uh, still good. You looking. look so small there. <laughs> <laughs> well, the I could, of the screen, I could do God. with losing 30 kgs or something. Tell me, Wally, uh, what's on the agenda? It's a busy time of year in the garden. Um, I've got my lovely mother-in-law visiting, and she's been uh, working in my garden and helping, and she's done a great job. There's a lot to do. Uh, what would you like to cover off with us today? Okay. Well, one, one of the things that happens this time of the year People prepare new gardens for their vegetables, for their flower plants, etc. And they work the soil, make a nice, lovely garden, and then they either plant seeds or seedlings into it. And next day they go out, and my God, it has been destroyed. The cats in the neighbourhood have found a new toilet, a beautiful, lovely soil toilet. And they said, oh, my God, this is heaven. And so they have applied a lot of interesting manure, mm. usually out of a, <laughs> a tin of cat food, which is yuck. 
And, um, of course, seedlings have been disrupted, seeds, etc., etc. Now, to overcome the problem, we have a product called Wally's Cat Repellent, right? And I think I may have spoken about this before. It's naphylene. Naphylene has a very strong smell and the same smell as mothballs, actually, before mothballs got banned because children um, putting them into their mouths thinking they're lollies, which we never did when we were kids. We knew no, we managed ball. to get by. Yeah, we, we knew the difference between a lolly and a mothball. <laughs> <laughs> Strange that how things have changed. <laughs> Sorry, I just we yeah. did know the difference between a lolly and a mothball. Yeah, mothballs yeah. were typically found in the wardrobe or cupboard, and lollies were found in lolly packets or lolly jar. That was the giveaway. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know. Anyway, anyway um, so the story is: you use naphthalene or um, cat repellent um, to keep the moggies off your garden. Now. Nephilim, too, is a chemical. So if it's a flower garden, um, it's not good, but it doesn't matter too much because you're not going to eat the flowers. But in your veggie garden, uh, it's most important that you're not going to put a chemical into the soil for the plants to take up and be in your food chain. You've got enough rubbish in the food chain anyway without having to add to it. So what I suggest, and this is, this is a good thing, people – Having radio like this, I, I realised the other day, listening to radio, you've got to use your imagination, mm. right? And, and, of course, these days with gadgets and TV, et cetera, et cetera, you just look and you see a picture and you get the story. You, mm. This is radio without pictures. Remember mm. that program? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So my suggestion is this. You get yourself a two-litre milk bottle, plastic milk bottle, right? It's got a handle, et cetera, et cetera. It's plastic. It's empty, hopefully, <laughs> because you're going to cut the base off. The bottom of it you're going to cut off, right? Mm. And then you're going to take the cap off the other end, right? And you've got the handle there, and you can sit that down on the ground with the handle up, and inside it you put a rock, so it doesn't blow around, right? Let's just prevent it from blowing around. And then inside that, you put about a tablespoon of the cat repellent, and you can sit that quite safely in the middle of your veggie garden where you plant it up, right, because it's not going to get into the soil. Then away from that, you scatter some of the flakes around. Now, what happens is the cat comes along and it smells as Nephilim. Now, my thoughts are that the cat probably thinks it's a great big moggy has come through and marked the territory. And if he comes back and she's there, she's history, literally. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> right. So she, she leaves the area alone. The problem with Nephilim, if it's rained on or watered on, it disappears very quickly. But if it's in a dry situation, it will last for weeks and weeks and weeks, right, slowly mm. evaporating. And inside the plastic milk bottle, it will last for a long, long time. So when she comes back, the smell's still there, and she thinks, oh, my God, my God. And so eventually the cats have to find a new toilet somewhere else, 
change their habits, otherwise they're very constipated. Yeah, they and they are creatures of habit. They go to the same place to go to the toilet over and over. And it's never in their own section. It's never. always in the neighbours because mm. they don't want to mess there in their own backyard. Mm. Right. Tell me, Wally, you I got it that you put the napoline. The napoline is a solid product. It's not a liquid. It's flake. It's, it's flake. yeah, crystals, yeah. Okay. And so you put, was it a tablespoon or a teaspoon? I can't recall. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, tablespoon. Okay. Uh, we and then you little... sprinkle the odd little flake around and a small dose in the soil around that, right? Yeah, on the lawn or somewhere near the veggie garden, but not oh, in Oh, but the not in – ah, sorry, I missed that, but not in the veggie garden, around no. the area of the veggie garden where you're not eating anything. Right. And um, how big an area would that protect, that one dose? Um, good question. Um I would say probably about 10 square metres. Okay. So you could do, if you've got a big garden, you might want to do two or three. three. Yeah, got it. Right, yeah. So you can get that from your from you, from, uh, oh, gosh, it's been so long, Wally, your webpage. You can Which email is... Wally at wallyjr at gardennews1n.co.nz. If you forget to put the, if you, if you do like I do, put two ends. Uh, I just got to tell you not to eat the napoline because you probably, the kid that had the mothball thinking it was a lolly. Or you can give Wally a call, 0800 466 464. And they can order it. Quite a few garden centres throughout New Zealand, mitre tens and so forth, have the product, Wally's um, cat repellent. It's got a big scary cat on the label. It's easy to see. It's in a childproof container. Because it's, I'm the only person in New Zealand, legally, according to the government, allowed to sell nepheline because it's been banned after the children lolly uh, mothball incidents. Okay. And um, so if you go to your garden centre or you might attend, if they haven't got it, tell them to get it in. Yes, from there. help Wally. Yeah, yeah, because uh, a lot of these places um, – some other companies pay for shelf space, which I, I refuse to pay for shelf space. So mm. my products often either go down the very bottom shelf where nobody can see them, or so high up if you were a dwarf, you wouldn't even know they existed. Mm. Um, so it's quite disgusting what is happening um, in business. I've had this complained a lot when I was an MP about how producers are paying retail shops to promote their product. Because mm. at one level, it seems a bit like bribery. Well, you know what I mean? look, look what the pharmaceutical industry did. I know. <laughs> that they paid <laughs> millions out <laughs> for doctors and everybody, $250 the doctor got for everybody shot up. Yeah. My God. Um, so – yeah. Uh, otherwise, from our mail order website, which is www.0800-466-464.co.nz, um, that's the same as our telephone number, our website. And you can mail order from there. We phone you after we get the order. You can't pay for it online. We don't let people give us money for nothing. So we have a talk to them and sort out the order. And do credit cards safely over the phone or bank transfer. 
So tell me, yeah. Wally, are you getting a bit of business off the off our listeners? Oh yes, yes, very oh, much right. so. Yeah, um, a lot of them when they place the order and I talk to them on the phone, they say. Uh, oh my God! You sound just like you did on <laughs> Radio <laughs> Reality. I said, "Funny that, funny, funny." Yeah. I don't change my voice for the program. No, you I'm... don't put your BBC accent on. No. Well, you get a lot of great feedback when you're on the show. So tell me, Wally, um, new gardens, new gardeners. What's on the agenda for them? Okay. Well, this is of course big planting time, right? Um, the soil is coming up to a nice um, temperature for germination, so you can germinate flower, veggie seeds um, in your garden. Uh, the garden centre's got lots of seedlings, different varieties and stuff like that. The only aspect at the moment is it's a little bit early for planting the likes of cucumbers, um pumpkin, etc. outside because they won't do much until the temperatures get more even and warmer, mm. right? Mm. But in a glass house, of course, they'll thrive. Mm. Um, but everything else, tomatoes, you name it, go for it. Um, mm. But one of the things, too, that a lot of people don't realise that have got a pet dog or dogs is that when you're gardening and doing little jobs like planting seeds and seedlings, your dog should be inside the house with curtains drawn so he can't see what you're doing. <laughs> Very important because if he's standing there watching you doing all this planting up of seeds and seedlings and stuff like that, when you go inside, he thinks, ah, it's my turn, and then he goes. Because <laughs> you're a great dog man, right? Oh, yeah, I've got three dogs currently, yeah. Um, and... Um, Yes, it's the thing that happens. My dogs uh, are not gardening dogs. They're more pufta-type dogs, you know. The yeah. Little, yeah fluffy. I don't know if you're allowed to say that these days, Wally. Oh, 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 oh. puffy, puffy, puffy. <laughs> oh, <it's> puffy. <laughs> puffy. <laughs> okay. Um, tell me, um, if you're having trouble with a neighbour's dog, does the – is it Napoline? Does it work? No. Uh, it might in some cases, but no, it, it basically doesn't. There's a product out there called Skunk Shot, um, which some garden centres have. I don't have it. Um, but the smell of that and what you're supposed to do is you put, um, you know, the golf ball tees. Yeah. Um, you get some of those and you put a dab of this Skunk Shot on the top of that and you stick the tea into the ground and the areas where you want to protect or prevent the dog from coming in, which reminds me, and you may remember this, many, many years ago, you used to drive around the place and you see all these uh, bottles of uh, Coke bottles or oh, with whatever with, lemon, uh, with water in them, right? Yes, I do remember. It's not a thing now. Right, uh, yeah. Now, On the lawn. It was the best fake information that you could imagine. The, the key to it was, from the originators, said that dogs will not urinate near water. Right? And you think, okay, fair enough, they won't urinate near water because they spoil the water they're going to drink. So everybody, stupidly enough, got out their plastic 
uh, cordial bottles, filled them with water, put the cap on and threw them out in the in their front lawn, thinking that no dogs would come near the front lawn. Uh, didn't work, of course. Uh, yeah, I remember it, that. I thought it was that the dog would look at it and see itself in the reflection and run away. That's what someone told me. And I thought, uh, it seems preposterous. Yeah, and it's, it, obviously it didn't work because it's not now a thing. It just popped up. And I can remember driving around Auckland and gosh, just about every second house in some streets would have the have the lemonade bottles lying around with water, half filled with water. Right. Isn't that funny? Um, what else, Wally? Yeah, well, one thing about it too, the um dog catchers, etc., have done a great job. I mean, and now the fines are so horrific. If your dog is running around loose and so forth, it gets picked up. You have to pay to get the dog back. Um, so back in our times with the bottles on the lawn, um, of course, there was really no great effort to prevent dogs from roaming. Mm. Uh, nowadays there is. So that's all good. So now, okay, um, here's one which is interesting. Some people like to grow pumpkins, squash, pumpkins, um, cummy cum, you know, those ones. Now, they take a lot of room because they're a big vine, and unless you've got a big property to let them meander around and, and produce. If you haven't got a big property, there is a way that I found some years ago very successful is that you plant them near some shrubs or tr small trees, and you train the vine up the tree and over the shrubs. Ah. So they're up in the air, they're not taking up space on the ground, and as a result of that, um, the fruit too is formed up in the air. So it's not sitting on the ground where it can get damp and rotted, right, which you've got to protect pumpkins um, if the soil is quite moist. Sitting in moist soil, of course, can cause rots. So, yeah, um, the ideal thing with growing pumpkins the old traditional way is you um, make a mound. It's got a lot of animal manure in it, a um, bit of um, uh, garden lime, and you plant three seeds or seedlings into the mound and let them go for it. Now, another problem that happens, particularly with called jets, um, this time or zucchinis, whatever you like to call them, is that people grow them, they're a big plant, uh, they take quite a bit of room, and, and the key to that is you remove the older leaves so it doesn't take quite so much room, but it sort of spreads out a bit. But they get a flower on there and they've got a little young fruit and the next time they go, it's all gone rotten. Why? It never got pollinated. There was mm -hmm. no bumblebees around or whatever to do the pollination from the male to the female flower, right? So growing pumpkins, cubits, um, zucchinis, I always go out uh, in the morning when I feed the chickens and so forth and check the plants for flowers. And the female flower, of course, has the embryo fruit in behind the petals, so you can distinctly see 
it's a female, right? The male, of course, is a, a stamen um, without any uh, embryo fruit behind it. So once you find a, a female flower, um, then you go and find a male that's got a good amount of pollen on the stamen, and you, I'd, I'd pick the flower, take the petals off, so I've got this bare um, stamen there, and then I put that into the female flower and give it a bit of a rub, right? She loves it. <laughs> <laughs> Wally. And you've got to be careful that you don't let the neighbours see you do this. Yes, of course, you know, you know, it's not 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 good thing for the neighbours, especially if they're prim and proper. Mm. Um, and that sets the fruit. Good as gold. No trouble at all. If you don't do that, um, then you're leaving it up to bumblebees or whatever to actually do the pollination for you, which means that you can lose a lot of fruit. And it Tell me. Are the male flowers and the female flowers on the one plant or on separate yes. plants? Okay. On the one plant. On the, on the one plant. And, so, so, and, sorry. Sorry, I interrupted. And tell me this. You know how you were having them growing up shrubs and and bushes and trees? Yep. Is that the bib, bib, big pumpkins or just those little wee ones? No, big pumpkins. As long as it's a strong shrub or tree to be oh, able wow. to take the weight, right? Wow. Uh, and I've grown, you know, a good-sized pumpkin on, on say, a pit of spora. Um, Gee whiz. And, yeah, they, they just – What's a pit of sporum in everyday words? It's one of the native plants. Okay. Shrubs, yeah, Shrubs. a common native. Um, one of the things, too, is that quite often in nature um, you get a – Male flowers and no females, and then you'll get females and no males, right? And it's, I think it's all correlated to weather and things like that. So you've got your zucchini plant growing there, and lo and behold, you've got your females, but there's no males, right? You can go then off to your pumpkin plant and find a male flower and pollinate the female zucchini flower. It works. You definitely want the neighbours to see that. No, 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 because that's all. Yeah. That's, and what, you get a zucchini or a pumpkin or half of No, no, you get a zucchini and it's called plant swapping. How funny. <laughs> yeah, no, it works. Um, cucumbers, et cetera, et cetera, um, because they're all in the same family. Okay. I've not come across, and there's always a possibility that the um, – Fruit could turn more like a pumpkin than a zucchini, but generally speaking, no, it comes true to um, form. Well, now, um, when you said if you've got them growing along the ground, they can rot, how do you prevent that happening with a pumpkin? Okay, once a pumpkin forms and gets up to a bit of size, um, I just put a slat of wood underneath Okay. Just raise it off the wet soil. Find yes. the wood, of course, when it rains, will get wet, etc. But it will dry out quicker in yeah. the soil. Um, yeah. I and, was always told as a boy that pumpkins grew towards water. Is that true? Grew towards water. Yeah, like that. My my uh, uncle had a creek at the a water race at the back of his garden, and he'd plant his pumpkins. And the plants would grow along the ground, he reckoned, heading towards the water race. Is that is that an old wives' tale? 
You'd have to get your um, Coca-Cola bottle because it was water. <laughs> <laughs> well, as soon as I said it, as soon as I said it, I thought, how would the pumpkin get <laughs> the water was? <laughs> I probably ate a mothball when I he told me that. Um, that is a silly thing, isn't it? But I, yeah, I got that in the back of my head. It was my one bit of gardening knowledge that I grew up with, and it was fake. I feel devastated, Wally. I, I see no logical reason for it to happen. Nah. Um, no. The roots of plants will go to the water, of course. Because um, they can feel it, right? But the well, plant can't. Yeah. yeah. They, they can feel there's a, there's a gradation of water going this way, war water. Oh, I'll grow a bit more because there's water. Tell me, one thing I've done, Wally, and I hesitate to raise this with you because I might get smacked. I might have done a dreadful thing. But the other night I decided to grow some, plant some leeks and some cauliflower, because I love both. And I'm doing what you suggest. Just I did a row half and half. And I, in two or three weeks, I'll do another row. But I thought I'd be clever, because I had good soil with lots of rotted manure in it. And I thought, I'm very tight. I've got Scottish ancestry i'm very tight and i'm not throwing a whole bucket of seed mix on the top of that so i dug a hole you know with a little wee gardening trowel filled it with i guess a cup of seed mix and put my seed in that seed mix thinking i'm not spreading seed all over the garden where it's not needed because these were quite well spaced out was that a smart thing yeah, of course, because it's been thrifty. Um, yes. You're, you're only going to fertilise and feed where the plant is going to be. Mm. Uh, what's the point of feeding all the weeds that are going to come yes. up? Um, oh, good. So, no, I, I do the same thing. If I'm planting a seedling, rather than spreading fertiliser or manure or all over the whole shooting box, um, I will put it in the planting hole. Um mm. Mind you, with manure, because I have chickens, I, I have lots of manure, and living in Martin, um, you take a drive um, out into the um, surrounding area and you see on the side of the road uh, pony poo, horse manure, mm. you know, bags, $2 a bag, you know, good mm. value, mm. Um, except for the weed seeds that are in it, <laughs> mm. of course. Mm. But... Um, in a raised garden, I tend to spread the whole lot over the garden, right? And then um, then some calcium, um, garden lime, and I use my calcium now. And that's a very important thing too. People growing vegetables, which is like cabbages, brassicas, um, family, uh, peas, beans, um, everything except tomatoes and pumpkin, uh, potatoes, should I say, sorry, you've got to lime the soil because if you don't and the pH is too acidic, the plants, even though there's lots of food there, they won't grow of any consequence. They've got to change the pH so it becomes alkaline and then they can feed and grow very well. And to do that, you need a soft lime. There's two types of lime. Hard lime and soft lime. In the old days, we used to use hard lime 
and we would lime every year, and it would be the 10th year that lime from 10 years ago would be active, right? So because you're doing it every year, you had this turnover. Hard lime comes from limestone, even though it's been powdered down. And when you wet your fingers and put some between your fingers and you rub your thumb and finger together, it's gritty. It's hard lime. Hmm. If it's soft lime and you wet your fingers and put some between them and rub, it turns into a slurry. That's soft lime. And that's quick acting because it's mm. ready to go. The lime that we have and sell, we sell as Wally's Calcium and Health, it's serpentine lime, it's very soft lime, it's very quick acting, but we add to that all the things that people would like to have in their garden, like boron, sulfur, selenium, all those elements, mm. which the plants will take up and instead of having to buy the pills and the health supplements, um, they're going to get it through their food chain. And so calcium and health, um, good to use in your veggie garden, and that's the only place you use it. Uh, the reason we don't use it for, for tomatoes and potatoes is because they preferred a little bit acidic, right? Okay. But they when, still need calcium. When is a good time to supply the light? And how long does it last? Um, you can side dress an existing garden with it, or yeah. you can uh, put a little bit of it in the planting hole, which is a you Scottish people with the yes. short arms and, and yes. deep pockets do. Yes. Um, uh, or you could broadcast it over the ground, um, per se. And can you overline? No, not really, because uh, it balances out. Okay. Um, and do you do it on a regular basis or annually? How often do you lime your garden? Um, every time you plant up, you would get okay. a little bit of lime in the area you're going to plant your carrots or your Good um, beans or whatever. Now, speaking of carrots, we're going to uh, settle the controversy. I didn't say anything at the time, but one of my friends, because we talk gardening now, one of my friends went off to a composting seminar put on by the local council here, and they had a professor of composting speak. And one of the things he said is that carrots don't like growing in nutrient-dense soil. And in fact, they'd go quite good in sand. This was the account given to me. I might be doing the man a disservice. Is that true? Well, if there's a lot of nitrogen um, food in the growing medium where you're growing your carrots, the chances are they'll fork. So instead of having one carrot go down, it will start ah. to produce. So it's kind of like we call it forking. Okay. Um, it, it can also happen too if – the area that you're planting in uh, isn't fry friable, right? Yeah. So, in other words, the top couple of inches might be quite good, but a bit further down, it starts to become hard. When that root goes down into the soil, it hits a hard area, which is an obstruction, and it kind of stops, and then you can get forking happening again. Okay. So if you're not getting forking, you're okay. 
Yeah, true. Kai, you get so much advice for a newbie gardener, and I wish I'd kept a diary. Um, you think, I won't forget that, and of course you forget yesterday, you can't remember what you did. Um, but it seems always tedious to keep a diary because you know what to do next year and what not to do. But it's tough. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm. I'm a. I'm a member of the Professor Wally Richards School of Gardening because you get contradictory advice. I have to say, I've got a very good book. I've got the Otago Daily Times Gardening Book, which has been published for over a hundred years, I think, from memory. It's a very old book, but it keeps getting updated with new editions, and I particularly love it because it gives you Wally a timetable for Otago for outdoors. Right. And yep. um, and you can look at the book. It'll have a section on potatoes, but you can look at the book and it'll say what to do in October and November. You know, you can be doing this and you can be doing that. And I find that a little helpful because I guess it's like cookery. Once you get cooking, you end up with lots of cooking books. And once you get gardening, you get gardening books. I've got all the Wally books. And I've got the Otago book. And that's my gardening go-to. That's my enough for me. And then I'm a, I'm a member of the Professor Wally Richards Gardening School because I hear all this other advice and I just think, God, I'm having, I'm struggling just keeping up with what Wally's telling me and missing vital steps even then. And I'm worried that if I start getting contrary advice, I'll lose my, I'll lose it. It'll get too overwhelming. I'm a simple boy. What else is on the agenda this time this week, Wally, in the garden? Okay. Um, well, 1.2 was, planting root crops such as your potatoes, carrots, parsnips, etc., etc. Um, we have a product called Biofos, mm-hmm. um, which has got uh, reactive rock phosphate broken down naturally by microbes, and that should be applied um, to your gardens, particularly where you're growing root crops, because that makes a difference uh, to them. Also, we were talking before about garden lime. Now, if you're going to uh, give your tomatoes some uh, calcium, you use dolomite, right? Because it's magnesium and calcium, and it's pH neutral. So it doesn't change the pH of the soil, but it gives the tomato plants um, the calcium it would like. And the magnesium is good, of course. Epsom salt, magnesium, good for the leaf colour, photosynthesize and so forth. For potatoes, you use gypsum. Gypsum is calcium and sulfur, and that is ideal for root crops. It certainly makes a difference. There used to be um, a product, I think it came from Canada, it called, I, I forget the name, something like Super Roots or something like that, very expensive product. Um, it was came in, It was a powder and it came into some shops and so forth, selling at a horrendous price. And, in fact, one shopkeeper told me the only people that were buying it was those people going out and growing those funny tomato plants out in the country. (laughs) (laughs) Hidden away. Yeah, those hidden tomatoes, yes. Yeah, yeah, cash crops. Um, Um, But that was actually gypsum mainly in that product. Okay. Um, I'm going out to get my lime today when I pick the kids up and spread a little bit because um, I've gypsumed, uh, I think, my garden. Because that does it, is it gypsum that breaks down clay? Yes, it is. Yeah, yes. no, I've done that. So I might have enough of that. Now, Wally, how many chickens have you got? Uh, 19. Wow. 
Is that a lot? Um, well, if they all laid an egg every day each, it would be. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, I get between six to ten eggs. I, I think some of them have rests and, you know, they yeah. go on holiday and so forth. And besides that, uh, I'm not a person that culls out their chickens. Um, like, they live, even if they don't produce eggs, until they die. And, and that's it, right? Yeah. Um, so if, if you're really into having eggs from chickens, um, you'd have them for maybe a couple of years and so you get rid of them and get a fresh lot. Um, and just killed them. Um, well, I'm going to make a call out. I'm going to make a call out on the show for anyone who knows about raising chickens and chicken coops to text me at 2057 or email me inbox at radio to come on the show because that's my next big thing. I'm going to start raising chickens. And you've shocked me a bit because I was speaking to my wife. I was looking at chicken coops and there was one design online you could have up to eight chickens and eight hens another one you could have up to 18 and my wife said oh no eight would be plenty but if you've got that many eight, eight's not going to do it because i'm a bit like you i couldn't be culling them um so we need someone to come on and explain to us how to how to who, who's hands-on and explain coops and looking after chickens and all the rest of it is it easy to raise hens and have them laying eggs for you well i don't have a rooster um, yeah. anymore so hence uh, you have to buy all the chickens in yeah. um, the best chickens to buy are what we call pointer lay um, they're usually around about 8-12 weeks old something about there and they're in the situation where they're starting to lay eggs they locally in Levin I can buy them for $35 each um, mm -hmm. which is not a bad price Um if you raise them yourself, the only problem with um, having a rooster and letting a pullet, uh, not a pullet, but um, a bantam chook or another chook sitting on the eggs and hatching them is that you don't know whether you're going to get hens or uh, roosters. Yes. And so you end up with some hens, some roosters, and and if you're in a town situation, um Easy. Roosters are not actually accepted by their neighbours because no. they tend to crow in the morning, <laughs> and and if they're disturbed in the middle of the night, they crow again. Yeah, well, um, I like crowing in the morning, and that's enough. Wally, uh, we're going to have to get someone on about chooks to, to actually make a chook house yourself. That's simple to do. I oh, no, I'm going to make one. Yeah, how do you make one? Uh, out of um, fifty by fifty. Um, Tantalized uh, wood, right? Yeah. I make, um, how can I explain this? You've got, and also I use five ply, right? So I make a frame out of the 50 50, right? Yeah. And part of it is actually a nesting box, which is up um, about chest high, right, yeah. uh, my height, a chest height, right. So that sticks out the back. Or okay, well, you're – so, And we, you've got a lid so you can – Yes, that's what we need. they lay eggs in there. Yeah, right? that's what I need. I'm going to do this, but we need help, all of us. So anyone that's – any listener that 
know someone or can do it. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be Professor Wally Richards level expert um, who can help us. That would be wonderful because I was going to go off and just Google it, and I thought, no, I can probably do better than that. I'll, I'll photograph that. This is one I, I designed myself. Well, and, if and Wally's photographed, I, I would love to see it. I would love to see it, Wally. Wally, always a pleasure. Uh, love it about the cats and the dogs. Love it about what we have to do in the gardening. Love your gardening advice. Looking forward to having you back soon. And remember, Wally's Magic Botanic Liquid, I don't get paid or anything like this for Wally. Uh, I just love Wally's advice. And i got to say, I love his product. It is tremendous product. Um, that's not an advertisement or anything. That's just practical advice. Um, I have my MBL and I sprout like that lady randomly, and you can see the difference. You can see the you, you can see the plants perk up <laughs> with that. It's wonderful. Uh, there you go. Rally Check Radio, real talk with Rodney Hyde. Please remember, uh, send us a text at twenty fifty seven. Email me inbox at radleycheck.radio. We're going to be busy gardening over the next few weeks. Lots happening. We got through the winter with Wally, and now we get to the exciting bit. Thank you for listening. You're listening to Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Rodney Hyde and Tane Webster. Here on Radley Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, and we've got Tane Webster on for our Politics Explained, Back to the Basics in the Political Sandpit. Well, we're going to have an extended time because in a funny way, so much is happening and yet nothing is happening. And so we're going to cover off what's been going on behind the scenes, not because we know, but because we can surmise. And what are the likely scenarios that can play out uh, for this government? And I should say that we have no special expertise other than that um, myself. Well, you're an expert, Rodney. Well, I have done it. You know, I've been involved in coalition negotiations, and I know the parameters, and I know a little bit about how it works. But I, but it it's not necessarily this past experience is not necessarily the best predictor of what can happen. So it's not like I know what's going to happen, but I know what's going on. Do you want to know what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Tell us what are some of the different options. Actually, we had someone send in a link, actually, and they were, this is part of why we're, we're discussing this. They sent in a link from the Kiwi blog and they said, what's Rodney going on about in the comments here? He's saying, I'll read it out. You said to someone, the question for me is why would Winston join with National? His price will be high. It's a bad situation for Mr. Luxon and ACT, either way, in or out. And then this person, New Zealander in exile, comments, what kind of high price do you think, Rodney? And you said maximum opportunities for Winston to dictate to Luxon. Yes. Well, first of all, let's cover off what's going on behind the scenes. The answer is nothing. Nothing. They're waiting until the specials are finished, right? They're waiting. Well, Winston is waiting. Act and National will be desperate to put a government together. If Act and National could have done it together, we would have a government today, right? Because they want to get off to a flying start. They want to look good and strong, and they want to look like they've got a proper government. So they would nut it out, and they've been talking before the election, and they would have it nutted out, and they'd have uh, ministers announced, cabinet sworn in, 
and they do some business in Parliament before Christmas. Uh, and what they the, what that would do is you do some serious stuff that they agree on, reversing some uh, Labor's outrageous. And what that would mean is we'd go off to our Christmas break, particularly business, which does a lot of planning over the Christmas break. They're thinking of the year ahead. You know, CEOs and board chairmen and board members. What what do we do for the coming year? And the new government would want to look like they're into the business of running, into the business of heading off New Zealand into a, a new direction. However, every experience I've had with Winston Peters, both negotiating with him and then watching him negotiate, is... He's a fantastic negotiator because he doesn't. So he doesn't negotiate, right? It's an extraordinary power that he has because everyone's desperate. I'm, I'm going to sound rude about Mr. Peters here, but it's partly his superpower, right? <laughs> his superpower is his belief in himself and his belief that things revolve around him. So everyone is feeling a bit of insecurity and desperate to prove to the world that they've got a good government and that Mr. Luxon's a good prime minister and Mr. Seymour's a good support partner and they've got the country's best interests at heart. And Winston won't be talking to them. And he'll just be saying, well, you know, there's 20% of the vote still to count. Let's wait till that's counted. And they'd be saying, yeah, 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 but we can talk about the options. No, I'm just waiting. And what that does, he'll be off riding his horses. You know, that's his radio. What that does is give him more power. Yeah, because eventually it means that when that's I'm predicting because I'm not a pro, but is it meaning that when he gets closer, the longer the longer it takes, the more pressure Luxon is under to figure this out? Absolutely, Luxon's desperate now. I mean, his his team have, according to according to the media, won the election on Saturday night, and yet he's not been you know he hasn't been sworn in, the Governor-General hasn't accepted him, there is no government. Chris Hipkins is still Prime Minister and will be Prime Minister until Chris Luxon can ring the Governor-General and say, I've got the numbers for confidence and supply. Now, he's got to get Winston on board because otherwise he's got a one-seat or two-seat or maybe a no-seat, which means he can't do it. He's on a very slim margin. Uh, for a government, and every time there's the next poll that comes out, if it dips for him, it'll say, oh, the government already has got less votes than the opposition combined, because Winston then becomes part of the opposition. And his poll counts with the Maori parties, the Green Party, and the Labour Party, and they'll quickly be surpassing him, and he looks a weak government, he won't be able to do anything. So he needs desperately to get Winston and to get New Zealand first, uh, to get ACT uh, on board. But I can't see Winston wanting to do that because the more desperate Mr. Luxon is, the more uh, power Mr. Peters has. And if you're in politics, that's the whole point, right? And of course, in many ways, Mr. Peters has got his best shot at power now 
because the prime minister needs him, right? He needs him to sign something. He needs him to sign a piece of paper. Now, what is ACT doing? I've got to say, I've got no special insight here. Again, I, I don't know anyone inside ACT, or I don't have any ties or conversations with anyone inside ACT. I, I basically left politics, and um, I wanted to leave politics cleanly and get on with another way of living life, which I did. And of course, on top of that, with the COVID experience, I renounced, denounced all parties in parliament. So I have no special insight. But X in a tricky position too, because if Winston's not in the mix in this negotiation, David Seymour would be silly to be busy negotiating with Chris Luxon. Because again, he's handing all the power and the veto to Winston. So I think David Seymour will be standing aside too, right? Because um, Winston will come along and then dictate to the both of them. And Mr. Seymour's on record for saying that he won't sit around the cabinet table if Mr. Peters is sitting around the cabinet table. Right? So I think everyone is extremely frustrated except Winston. I saw this in 1996 when Mr. Peters took something like six weeks to form a government. And then to everyone's horror, went with Labour. Uh, National, sorry, I got there in the way. Everyone had just assumed that Helen Clark had won. But it was the same thing on this election night. Back in 1996, I guess you could be excused because it was the first MMP election. Everyone declared Helen Clark the winner. She's on the front page, you know, the new Prime Minister. No, it was MMP. And after the six weeks of negotiations, Winston announced that he was going with National. I've never seen anyone so angry as Michael Cullen was that day because he was, he'd he'd spent six weeks thinking he was Minister of Finance. And they went in and negotiated with Winston on that basis. Whereas Mr. Bolger went in and negotiated with Winston, desperate to get him across the line. And of course, was prepared to do more on that basis. It never occurred to Labour that Winston Peters was going to go with National because he'd campaigned against them. So um, he's taken six weeks and get how the country was going berserk. Um, it's quite funny to me that we're not going berserk at the moment because... Well, it's early days, I guess, people sort of... Yeah, well, then you get into a bit funny thing because it's November the 3rd. What's that? 16 days, more than two weeks away. So you've had an election. You're going to have three weeks till all the votes counted and then they can start negotiating. But then why wouldn't someone say, oh, well, there's Port Waikato, right? And Port Waikato might change things. I mean, the special votes might change things. Port Waikato might change things. So that, I think, is, what is it, the 25th or 26th of November or something. I doubt they will. I think even Winston would think people's patience would be pushed at that point. So we're going to go three or four weeks with um, the Prime Minister um, still being Chris Hipkins in a caretaker role. He'll be consulting with Chris Luxon and, if he can, Winston and David Seymour about what they're doing. Uh, it'll be minimal. That takes us through, say, 3rd of November. You might form a government a week in a week with negotiations. You call Parliament together. 
you won't have been able to agree much if Winston's on board, like to do in their legislative period. So I suspect we'll have a government before Christmas and not much action in Parliament. Parliament will be called, government sworn in, and everyone will say, thank God, we've got a government, thank God we've done it, and then they'll run away, and nothing will start until end of January, first week of Feb. Amazing, right? And of course, time moves fast when you're in politics, because if you don't have your legislation up and running in that first six months, you're out of time if you're a minister, you know, because you just can't get it all done. You can't get it on the legislative agenda, all the rest of it. Like this is just tick, 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 tick because of the process. So um, I think Mr. Luxon is going to become apparently weak because when he's asked about things, he's going to have to say no comment because he, he he can't say anything because he doesn't want to upset David Seymour or Winston Peters. He doesn't want to upset any potential for negotiation. He can't rule anything out or anything in. He can't even organise his own MPs as to who's going to be a minister because Winston Peters might want some of his MPs to be ministers in these particular slots. See how tough it is? Unbelievably What do you, what do you make of uh, the Act Party's treaty referendum? Because I've just double-checked at a Google search. The uh, Chris Luxon dubs it divisive and unhelpful. This is, uh, I'm, not, I'm surprised, a little bit surprised about that. You know, why would he try and push back on something so obvious that a lot of New Zealanders would support, especially those on the right, quote-unquote? Because... Chris Luxon sees his job is to occupy not just the centre of New Zealand politics, but a little bit of the centre-left of New Zealand politics. Yeah, yeah. And he also sees that his job is not to upset journalists and not to upset radicals. And so, again, that's a weakness. So even if it was a good policy, if it's going to cause an upset, that was why John Key never reversed the anti-smacking bill despite there being a referendum and it overwhelmingly in favour, mm. right, which is terrible. But he just didn't want to upset anyone at the start of his premiership, nor will, nor will Mr Luxon. So he doesn't want controversial things. And, of course, Mr. Peters and Mr. Seymour want controversial things. I say their surnames and speak to them referentially, not not out of a obsequiousness or formality, but just to not be derogatory or to suggest that I have a friendship with them that I don't. You know what I mean? Like if I start yeah. calling them David and Winston, it suggests that I've been on the phone to them and I haven't. Um, so that's... That's the first thing. Then there comes the second thing, Tane. So this is this is it's this managing this expectation of election night, media declaring it a national party victory when it wasn't, because they don't understand that it's 
MMP, even though this is our 10th MMP election. You know, they made the mis- they make this mistake every election. They declare a winner. And often there isn't a winner because there has to be a negotiation. A government has to form. In the limit, and I don't think this is a possibility, but the way the cards could fall is that Winston could potentially form a government with the Greens, with the Maori Party, and the Labour Party. In 2005, we had a loss. The National Party was declared to be a total defeat. I spoke to Don Brash on election night. I said, do not rule out doing a deal with the Maori Party. I was very friendly with Tariana Turia. I spoke to her and Peter Sharples. I spoke to Peter Dunn. We had a meeting. And we had a meeting with Winston Peters to put a government together. No one knows that. In 2005, Don Brash could have been Prime Minister. We had the numbers if Winston Peters agreed. He didn't disagree, day one. He talked to us. We had a good discussion. He thought we'd put together a highly improbable collection because Don Brash had run on the Iwi Kiwi and here we had the Maori Party talking. Yeah. And Peter Dunn and the ACT Party. And we were talking to Winston or Mr. Peters, as I should say. So, Mr. Peters will be wanting to be in a position to talk to Labour. He would have used that conversation, and he would have met with us to strengthen his hand with Helen Clark. Right? Because he said, well, I've got options. (laughs) You haven't. (laughs) I um, I could be a minister in the government. Either way. I could win a lot of policy either way. You are either prime minister or you're not. And if you want to be prime minister, here are some things I need for my party. You see my point? So it's quite possible for that to happen, and you shouldn't rule it out, and you shouldn't rule out that behind the scenes such a discussion will be taking place. We kept that discussion amazingly secret. No one knew about it. The media just never occurred to the media that that could be going on. So. Um, bear in mind that's a possibility uh, that, you know, <laughs> Chris Hopkins could be Prime Minister stuff. No. Doesn't it, doesn't it seem bizarre? Yeah. I think the thing is no, no, no. it's a you, safe you, assumption that that's not going to happen. Well, it was a very safe assumption in 1996. For six weeks that Helen Clark was going to be Prime Minister. It was just a matter of time. What were you doing in 1996, Tane? That's right, playing outside as a four-year-old should. (laughs) Yeah. So this has a history. And everyone, everyone was baffled by six weeks to form a government. And then no one, I repeat, no one could believe it that Winston had went with National. It caused a riot, literally. And it was a terrible government. It just fell to bits. It crumbled from from the get-go. 
However, it happened. So, staying on then. So that's a possibility. It's an extreme outside possibility. And I suspect um, maybe Mr. Hipkins and the Greens just say, are bold and brave and say, well, we're better off out of it and we're better off to stay in opposition and we're better off to leave Winston Peters with those dirty gnats. But I imagine if Mr. Peters called them, they would meet with him. Mm. So what are our options? Well, the, what what you what Mr. Luxon wants is a detailed coalition agreement with each of the minor parties, that is to say, ACT and New Zealand First, where he gives a couple of them makes a couple of them ministers in each party and agrees to some of their policies and he announces a government. That's what he wants. Because if they're in cabinet, they're on the team. He probably wants them, and this will be the advice he's getting, that he keeps them as what is called ministers outside cabinet. This is a very important thing. There's a huge difference between a cabinet minister and a minister outside cabinet. Now, when I was minister, I was a minister outside cabinet. And at the time, you think it doesn't mean much. It means a lot. Because a cabinet minister attends every cabinet. Right? A minister outside cabinet only attends if there's an issue being discussed that concerns his or her portfolios. And it's on the sort of invitation of the Prime Minister, who's the chair of the Cabinet. So what that allowed to do, this was very, very clever. This allowed John Key to mostly run Cabinet as a National Party Cabinet. And he could have the Maori ministers along from the Maori Party and the ministers along from the ACT Party when it suited him or when they would have a chance. You'd literally may only turn up for half an hour of a cabinet or not turn up at all. So he's going to want them as ministers outside cabinet. So they're sort of part of government. No one knows the difference, but it allows him to plot and plan. And that's basically how John Key was able to go behind my back and do things like form a Maori statutory board with the Maori party without me knowing because I wasn't at the meetings, right? So he will be wanting them to be ministers outside cabinet. What do they want to do? Well, here's the options for New Zealand First and for ACT. I think I can guess ACT's preference. ACT's preference will be to have what's called a confidence of supply and no ministers. They will forego what Mr. Peters calls the baubles of office. They won't get the pay. They won't get the staff. They won't get the fancy cars. And they won't be ministers. And they will sit on the cross benches. I have done that in the ACT Party when Jenny Shipley became Prime Minister and Winston Peters left the government. Mrs. Shipley didn't have the numbers. She had to come to the ACT Party for the numbers and conference supply. We gave it to her in writing, so the Governor-General didn't need to call an election, but we never went into her cabinet. 
But in return, you got what must have got some good stuff across the line, or what? No, because at the time, we said before this happened, the country was heading into an early election, a snap election, because Mr. Peters was having a moment where he was leaving and upset. And we instantly said, Mrs. Shipley's got nothing to worry about. We will supply the numbers so the government can rest easy or the pick the country can rest easy. This was causing, you know, turmoil and people's planning. Like, is there going to be an election, an early election? No one knew because Mr. Peters was threatening to leave and in the finish he sacked him. God knows how many times Winston's been sacked from government. So uh, we just gave them the numbers on the basis that we felt that was a good thing to do for the sake of the country. And so we never extracted a price. We just wanted to ensure that we had a government for three years that was stable and then people could go into a, a general election properly. And we also wanted to show that we could be a steadying force um, in Parliament because at that, that time, you know, people were wanting the ship steadied. Now, what that meant was every piece of legislation going through Parliament had to get the agreement of the ACT Party. Can you imagine what that's like? You're a minister working on an important piece of legislation that's to do with policy. You want to get it through uh, Parliament. At what stage do you invite the ACT Party in? Probably early on, right? And then they start saying, oh, I don't like this bit. Or what about adding this? And you can get to the last hurdle and they say no. I think that's where ACT would like to be. Right. Because it's extremely powerful. Or you say, yes, I'd agree to that legislation, but we haven't yet removed that therapeutics bill, ACT. So we'll agree to this if that goes. Make it a part of this. You know what I mean? That's an extremely powerful position. You don't have the baubles of office. You don't direct the department. You don't get the steady stream of advice from officials. You only get it if ministers allow it, but they probably will when they want legislation passed. So ACT could give Christopher Luxon just confidence to supply and then hold every piece of legislation up. That would see Mr. Peters in government with the baubles of office, right? And for that, he would win some policies, but then that's it. But of course, all legislation has got acts say so on it or not, including Winston's. And I don't think Winston would like that. So what if he tries to also do the confidence option? You could do that. You could do that. But, of course, he doesn't have much power then because uh, it's quite probable that with at the moment, with National Act, there would be the numbers. So he drops away. But how weak, how weak is the national government? You get asked an issue 
you're the prime minister, you get asked, what are you going to do about this? Well, what I'd like to do is this, but of course, you know, I'd have to consult with my conference and supply parties before I commit to it. It's probably, better I, for, it's probably better for the country, though, if there's a bit of that, isn't it? Sure, but it's not what we're used to. And we're still mm. trying to graft MMP embed it into our political consciousness, and we haven't. So there's a long way to go in this, right? And there's three moving parts. There's the National Party, there's the New Zealand First Party, and the ACT Party. There are options. Ministers in Cabinet, ministers outside Cabinet, conference supply only. What one party does, it's this business dilemma, will be influenced by what the other party does, right? So this is a tough negotiation. And I don't think Mr. Luxon will be able to get the ACT Party in New Zealand first into the one room and actually have a heart-to-heart, right, as to what's going to happen. So you can see why I didn't share an election night enthusiasm because <laughs> I was looking at this and thinking we've got a wee while for this to shake down before Mr. Luxon becomes Prime Minister. And I'm not sure you're going to get a decisive government out of this. Because even imagine this. I don't know. I mean, I can't think of an instance. But imagine you have a piece of legislation, A, and the ACT Party are for it, and the National Party for it, and you've got enough numbers, but Mr. Peters opposes it. It looks bad, right? Or... Mr. Peters is for it, National Party's for it, NAC's against. It looks bad, and they may not have the numbers to make it pass. Depends on the specials in Port Waikato. So this is this is a lot, up, lot, there's a lot at stake. So there we go, uh, everyone, RCR listeners. This election, the election is over. Yeah, it's not an election day. It's not a night. It's a it's a it's a six week period. Yes. And they've got specials still to count. The election is over, but the votes all haven't been counted. We've got all them to count. And then the politicians have to go to work. And all of that will be kept from us. But Tane and I will be gazing into our teapot leaves and discussing it for some time to come. But what I'm saying is there's a lot of options out there on the board, options that we have never heard of or people have never heard of, never discussed. Certainly the legacy media have no idea about and no idea about the implications of it. There you go. You're on Rally Check Radio. Tane, thank you. Thank you always. I did all the talking, but I think it was <laughs> it was one of those things. <laughs> um, that I was, did that on purpose. Yeah, that was Politics Explained. Uh, back to the basics. Uh, thank you for listening. Send us a text, 2057. Email us, inbox at Radio. Thank you so much for tuning in. We're in for an interesting time, as they say, that Chinese curse. Want an easier way to listen to RCR? Well, you can now download the brand new Reality Check Radio app, both on iOS and Android. We've completed our beta testing, and the app is now live. You can visit the app stores direct or find out all you need to know at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash app. That's at realitycheck.radio forward slash app. Our test bunnies have been hard at play to ensure you have access to everything. From listening to our live broadcast, downloading some of our incredible interviews, and checking out the latest blogs, 
all from the very same app. So get listening and download the RCR app now. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Great to have you along. Oh, it's my favorite part, mailbag. Remember, you can text me at 2057. Email me, inbox at rallycheck.radio. And as a special incentive, up until Sunday night, you can text me or email me and put in the keywords, which one of your favorite veggies is it? Hmm. Is it carrots or lettuce? That helps us with sorting it all out. And to improve your chance of winning, give us your best gardening tip in 50 words or less. Get that to us by Sunday night and you'll be in the draw. And remember, we've got some bags, some beautiful canvas bags. Uh, what are they? Those, oh, I can't remember those carry bags. And 12 packets of heirloom seeds, courtesy of Yates. So remember, Texas 2057, favorite out of lettuce and carrots, extra bonus, best gardening tip in 50 words or less, and be in to win. Now, the mailbag. What have we got here? Oh, Rodney, I can't sit here and listen to people telling you off for talking. Some of us are here to hear you. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. I put those exclamation marks in to make sure you people appreciated it. It was probably my mother from beyond the grave, not wanting my son to be her son to be criticized. Gay and Dave said, Rodney, we love your interviews, conversations. It's your magic style. Just keep doing what you're doing and you'll be yourself and the happiness will follow. We are all the richer for your shared experiences. Well, thank you for that. Um, but um, I'm very conscious of improvement and being the best I, ca I can for the community. So I'm improving the difference, that subtle difference. I had a discussion with it with the other hosts about conversation versus an interview and how an interview can become a conversation. A conversation might be an interview, working on it. Kate Hillier, remember the gardening ambassador. Hello, Rodney. I love listening to your talks with gardeners regarding how to make seed shopping simple. Buy only heirloom. Seether's seeds have many great seeds and they're only heirlooms, so it makes shopping simple. They have a website, seetherseeds.co.nz. Ditto Koanga Gardens, Koanga, uh, K-O-A-N-G-A.org.nz. Regarding potato, potato chips, proper chips brand only when they're on special. Thank you for that. That was from Janice. Rodney, I like your uh, conversational style very much. Add bay leaves to open flower to add freshness. Oh, I didn't know that. Humid season coming up, and the reason you have good success growing is that metaphysical thing more than genes. I will email a better description one of these days. I learned that from a near-death experience 50 years ago. Oh, my goodness. Thanks to God from an RCR fan. Thank you. We had Simon Fleck on, remember, the guy that uh, taught us about prepping? Simon needs to come back regularly he was awesome he was he could have a regular slot um vicky said hi rodney love the conversation about prepping i'm in the hawks bay and thought i was well prepared but gabriel certainly focused my mind i live off the grid with solar power and composting loo but i'm on town water supply i also have a veggie garden and extra food stored with gabriel we had four days with no power internet water sewer and were cut off from food deliveries isn't that interesting i mean just Four days. How would you cope? Many didn't have cash when the FBOS went down. When I had gaps, where I had gaps, we were not being able to access a radio station on my wind-up solar transistor. So no communication. 
wonder what that was. Had the radio, could wind it up, but couldn't locate a station. I had some extra water, but not enough. And I realized my first aid kit was lacking. I've since put a water tank in and still need to organize my first aid supplies and transistor. Interesting about protecting our supplies. I appreciate the suggestion from your guest. A few things I've done are hiding my supplies in various places in my garden. I also grow things like uh, I like eating things that most others wouldn't recognize as food, such as yacon, spelt Y-A-C-O-N. I've never heard of it. And Jerusalem artichokes. Plus, I like to think I wouldn't have many of the processed foods others might be looking for. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you. But I could be fooling myself there. Thank you. Everyone, for your feedback, love getting it. Remember, 2057, lettuce or carrots, be in to win, heirloom seeds. You're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, Rally Check Radio. Thank you so much for listening. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, send me a text at 2057. Email me inbox at I I've been sitting on this thought for a while, and I still haven't processed it completely, and it's not my nature to be critical. Nah, yes, it is. I'm going to be highly critical. But this is, this is what Tova O'Brien, uh, apparently a political journalist guru who follows as a job what is happening in politics, you know, talking to everyone, studying it, writing up for us um, so that we know what is going on by her experience and expertise. Uh, this is her job. This is what she does. And she's at the top of the game, supposedly. And this is what she wrote the day after the election. This is the opening line. It's in her analysis, would you believe? It's not reporting. It's her analyzing what's happened. Tova O'Brien, good morning, New Zealand. If you've been following the long and grueling election campaign, even just a smidge, it won't surprise you to learn that you're waking up to a new blue government. That National won the election that Christopher Luxon is our new Prime Minister. Well, that shows that Tova O'Brien understands nothing. We've had MMP in this country for what? Since 1996. So what's that? 27 years. We voted in a referendum to change our system, didn't we, in 1993? So this has been debated for over 30 years, how MMP works. We have endured, what would that be, nine elections, something like that, MMP elections, and we don't elect the government. We elect the parliament, and then a government has to form. And so never, never does National win the election. Yes. Yes, Jacinda Ardern won. Uh, the previous election because she got over, you know, 50% of the MPs, but Christopher Luxon didn't. National did not win the election. And chances are he will be the new prime minister, given the makeup of that parliament, but he's not there yet. He has to do coalition deals. He has to get the agreement of other parties. He has to get the support 
of 50% of the parliament. And yet our political expert, our go-to person paid to explain what is happening in politics doesn't understand the fundamental point of our election system. So everyone was all excited on Saturday night because National had won. They had not. Journalists and experts were telling us they had won, but they hadn't, not yet. Chances are they will, but they have to put the deal together. The ACT Party isn't just going to say, oh, yes, we support you, carte blank. They've got to negotiate. So they won too. New Zealand first. They won too because National will likely want them in the tent rather than have them outside the tent. So Tova O'Brien doesn't understand that for the last nine or so elections, I haven't done that count, but a lot, we have gone. Well, we go through it. 1996, 1999, 2002, 2005, 2008, 2011, 2017, 2020, 2023. This is our 10th MMP election. Tova O'Brien would have been at primary school, I guess, when this started. And so National didn't win the election. Full stop. But that's her opening line. But here's a bit that really amazes me. She says, quote, but try saying straight-faced, hand on Bible, or sworn on the grave of a beloved dearly departed, that you saw this coming, and the country would collectively call BS. Well, excuse the moment that she can't stop but use this sort of flowery language and swear. Swearing is okay if you make it letters or put asterisks in. She hasn't got the vocabulary to write uh, without using expletives, but she thinks that the country didn't see this coming. Oh my goodness. This political expert reporting to us thinks that none of us saw this coming. What sort of parallel universe does she live in? And of course, I'm picking on Tova, but she's just reflecting the entire media and press gallery. They just must live in a bubble or another movie set or another world because everyone saw this coming. Oh, my goodness. And, and everyone had a hundred reasons why it was coming. They completely missed the total failure of the previous government and the upset and the heartache. I'm not just talking about COVID. I'm talking about the economy. I'm talking about law and order. I'm talking about the health system. I'm talking about our education system. I'm talking about our infrastructure. I'm talking about the economy and the cost of living. Everything, everything has failed us. This government, that government, that government now, thankfully, totally failed us. And yet Tova thinks that there wasn't anyone in New Zealand that saw this coming. <laughs> 
I find myself every day looking at the news and scratching my head, failing to comprehend it or understand it. Well, there you go. Because Tova doesn't have a clue. Not a clue. She doesn't understand anything about politics. She doesn't understand our election system. She doesn't understand uh, what an election is deciding, what happens on election night. Clueless. And she's totally out of touch with New Zealand. And yet, we read her, supposedly, and her colleagues, to find out what's happening. Oh my goodness, you're on Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, Rally Check Radio, send me a text 2057, email me, inbox at Ah, it's so lovely. Haven't we got, isn't it great that we can just talk about Tova and how the journalists get it wrong? Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Rally Check Radio, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Well, what a show. Penny Marie, wasn't that something? Oh, my goodness, what is happening in our schools? It's heartbreaking, and how interesting that we ended up going from an interview to a conversation, which is something I've been thinking about, trying not to interrupt. But sometimes a conversation develops about the antidote, because I've been very concerned about how do you counter this. It's not clear to me how. Obviously, talking and discussing and publicizing is important, but then how do you deal with it? Because it's sort of this psychosis almost. But she was so wonderful in talking about that feminine intuition and that warmth, and you could feel it in her conversation. What a marvelous, wonderful woman. Man, oh man, we're blessed. And, of course, the wonderful Wally. And what I'm finding now, whenever it gets a bit much things, thinking about it, and, you know, you can uh, easily get a little bit down, um, uh, going gardening. Man, that's the best antidote. I suppose other people go for a run or go for a walk or go for a cycle or do something. Um, I go gardening and I just I find it so therapeutic. I think I'm re- reaching back thousands of years to my ancestors who no doubt were growing things to eat. And I feel better. It's like sitting in front of a nice warm fire with a book to read or with conversation. So there you go. Please send me a text at 2057. Uh, email me inbox at radleycheck.radio. And thank you for being part of the Radley Check Radio family. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for making us all who we are. And please share with us so we become a community. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio.